If you have your Bible today, please turn to Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah chapter 37. We've been following the life of a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah was king of the, uh, the south part of Israel called Judah. And his palace the, was right there in Jerusalem, a walled city. Well, we've been seeing over the last several weeks how the foreign king, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, uh, the enemy king was marching with his army closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. We've seen how in the midst of that, Hezekiah needed to have a steadfast heart. He needed to trust the Lord. We saw last week about how he had a prayerful heart when, when things were at their worst. I mean, they're shouting over the wall and Sennacherib's like, I'm going to destroy you. We saw that Hezekiah took the letter from Sennacherib and just put it before the Lord and said, I don't know what else to do. Here's my heavy burden. Here's my enemy. And he, he had a prayerful heart to just put it before the Lord. And so today we're going to talk about a listening heart, that a word from the Lord came and he brings it through Isaiah, the prophet. And so we're going to look at Isaiah, the prophet today and what he says. Now, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. This is me not necessarily being pastor, just being just being honest friend. There are times when I read the Bible and specifically in a lot of the prophet books, uh, minor prophet books, sometimes they call them or and, and they start going on these these long talks. And I my mind just tunes out. I just got to tell you, like sometimes I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what's going on. I know this is God's word. Um, but I, I've got to tell you, we we have to listen. And it, it reminds me of this. Um, uh Tim just came up and sang. It was beautiful. And we're in church and we all listen. And the other night we were over at the uh, at the um, special Valentine's dinner and he sang, too. And it was a great intimate atmosphere, but it was a little bit different atmosphere. I don't I don't know if everybody caught this, but while Tim was singing, we're also with our friends. And so there was chatting going on. And and this often happens when you have a lot of times a singer songwriter, uh, maybe a young artist who's written their music and they've been writing a love song to their girlfriend. And then they go and they play it in an intimate venue. Right. And they're just singing their hearts out. I mean, these true intimate feelings. And everybody in the crowd's just like talking to each other. They go, how was your day? You know, and this person up front is just like, here's what I meant to tell my girlfriend. I just love you, sweetheart. That day we were at the Valentine's banquet. Oh, you know, they're they're just singing their hearts out. But every all right, that was for Kit. I just had to take a moment to sing to my wife. But, you know, when they're singing, the crowd oftentimes is like, you know what? We've heard the love thing before. I don't get all what you're saying. And you know what? I'd rather just talk to my date. You know, have you ever been in those moments? And so they're there singing their hearts out, but nobody else is paying attention. I got to tell you, sometimes I think that's how we treat the prophets. When Isaiah and these people, they're saying the word of God. They always say the Lord says and then they're given. And the Lord is using some very poetic language, trying to amplify what he's saying. And you know what we do a lot of times? That's too hard to understand. I'm just going to talk to my wife for a little while. You know, I'm just going to tune out and twiddle my thumbs like anything. But have to try to understand this prophet. So we're going to hear from Isaiah today. and I'm going to kind of work through it so you can see some of the things he's saying. But but I've got to I've got to tell you, we've got to train our minds to not treat them as the singer songwriter, but treat it as this is a word from God. There was something important that he was saying. Put yourself in the midst of what Hezekiah is doing. He's got an enemy outside those walls. Isaiah's bring a word from the Lord. And so you can tell then that Hezekiah would be be resting on every word, just like if that singer songwriter wasn't singing it to a crowd, but was singing it to his girlfriend, was singing it to his wife. She'd be like, oh, man, he really does love me. Okay, so we're the audience where God is saying, I really do love you. Listen to my word. So we're in the book of Isaiah, chapter 37. And uh, if you remember, 
Hezekiah's come and he's, he's put this uh, letter before the Lord and said, here's my prayer. So it says in verse 21 of Isaiah 37, Then Isaiah the son of Amoz sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you've prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With my many chariots I've gone up the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, to cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to its remotest height, to its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. So you listening in so far? Man, that's kind of hard to digest, huh? But let me give you a little reference as to what's going on. God comes to him and says, do you think you just came up against a city? Do you think it was just the daughter of Zion that you came up, my people? No, when you came up here and you came to come against, you came against the Holy One of Israel. And you think you can just march through all those other lands. And he says, you think you went up to Lebanon, which was in the north, and they were known for having great cedars. They would chop those down and use them in in palaces all over the world. They were known for their strength, and it was their economy. And he says, king of Assyria, you think you can just go through uh, Lebanon and knock over those trees and then come here and take me on? Mm -mm. And then he talks about Egypt with another great power. He says, you think you can go down there and just tread with your foot on Egypt and then come and deal with the Lord God Almighty? You think, king of Assyria, just because you have a few little winds under your belt, you can come against God Almighty? I don't think so. So that's what he's pouring out. Uh, He's saying, uh -uh, let me tell you the reality of what's going on here. You're not just coming against one more foe. You're coming against God. All right. And then he goes on and keeps going. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins while their inhabitants shorn of strength are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops blighted before it's grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. So God says this. Um, you think when you went through all those countries and you took Lebanon and you took Egypt and all those other things, you think that was you doing that? Uh-uh. He says, haven't you heard that long ago I determined that you would do that? I was the one who determined that you would go against Lebanon and go against Egypt. I was the one who was giving them into your hands. Back in Isaiah chapter 10, God actually says to the king of Assyria, you're my rod of anger, and I'm using you. I'm going to use you to go against godless nations. I'm going to use you to punish those who have been against me. So you're going to be used by me. The tool doesn't say back to the one in the hand that I will control you. No, the man controls the tool, and I, God, control you, he says to the king of Assyria. He says, I'm going to control you, he says in chapter 10. I will control you all the way until you get to my door because I'm doing something in my city. I'm using you to do something in the hearts of the people in my city because at that time, I will have grown their faith, and there will be a remnant there that I'm working on. I'm using this to cause them to trust me. So God says now in Isaiah 37, 
No, no, no. You didn't determine. These weren't your plans. Seneca, if this was a, your idea that you came up with, this was me using you like a tool to deal with all those nations around and come to my doorstep to help my people grow in their faith. This is me doing it. There's a proverb that I've always, the Lord's always had on my mind, and I don't know why it is, but I think it speaks to the fact that we don't understand the Lord's ways, and we might think that we get to choose all the shots, but in reality, God is the one who determines much of what's happening, or how things will go, how history plays out. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, it says about the king, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord will turn it wherever he wills. So Sennacherib is in the Lord's hand like water. If you put water in your hand, you would get to say it goes this way, and I can't turn my hand very well that way. My wife's always making fun of me for not having that ability. Uh, but if I turn it that way, the water will go out that way. If I turn, The water doesn't get to decide. The water goes where the one who holds it makes it go. And God says, a king's heart in my hand I make his heart go wherever it goes. So in Isaiah 37, he's saying to Sennacherib, you think you determine these things? No, I made it possible that you would go where I wanted you to go because I want you on the doorstep of my people. I'm doing something in them and I'm about to do something to you. So we see in Isaiah 37 again, this is the Lord. He's been doing this and this is what's about to happen. Verse 29, because you've raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Right here, he's talking Sennacherib's language because the Assyrians were known for literally putting hooks in people's noses and dragging them around as if they were a cow that had a ring in their nose. And so he says, no, no, it's my turn. I'm going to put a hook in your nose, and I'm going to lead you. I will ruin you. You are about to be destroyed because this isn't your game. This is my game. You can't sit outside these walls with this massive army and all your victories that you think you're going to use against me and say that you're going to beat me. No, 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 no. I'm going to lead you out of here and you're done. You're done is what you are. And so verse 30 goes on and says, um, this is going to be a sign for the people of Israel. It says, and this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows itself. And in the second year, what springs from that. And then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the Lord says to the people of Israel, "Okay, here's what's going to happen. This will be a sign this year. There's going to be enough from the land that you'll be able to eat. Uh, You'll harvest and eat it. And the next year, it's going to be the same. And in the third year, your fields are going to be ready for you to to sow and to reap and you're just going to reap great abundance in your vineyard so you watch that happen you'll know that i've been in this and the reason this is all happening is because i'm preparing a remnant i'm i'm using a small group of people that i am placing faith in and it's my zeal i'm the one who's doing this so you watch because i'm about to do this thing why god needs people who are going to trust him He needs people who are going to listen to him. He needs people who are going to want to have him be their God. And the reality is there's not a lot going on in the world that makes us think that there's a lot of people who want to do that. Unless the Lord make it possible, there would not ever be a remnant. Do you know that nowadays in every period of history, the Lord has always had a little remnant. It's not a huge 
percentage of the population that ever follows God. It's always a small remnant. And so in that remnant, he is working. And with his zeal, he is, he is working to try to get them to trust him more all the time. That when he speaks, they would listen. And so now he's telling Hezekiah, I'm speaking to you. Trust me and listen. And here's the sign. I'm, I'm going to strengthen this remnant. This is what I'm going to do. This is my passion. Verse 33. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, uh, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. So, that's pretty interesting, because the Lord says, he's right outside the city, you know, he's not even going to get one arrow off. Not one soldier was going to pull back and fire. There was not going to be one moment that God would allow the king of Assyria to even lay siege on it. They were going to put ladders up. They were going to break down the doors. God's going to take care of it. Have you ever had those situations when it's been so tough? You're like, Lord, please help. And if you want to help a little bit, I'll take care of the rest. You ever had those moments? God's, God told Israel, he said, you're not even going to have to do a thing here. Jerusalem. You sit back and watch that I'm not even going to let the king of Assyria throw one arrow over the wall. It's all going to be me, and you will know, and that will grow your faith. Listen to what I'm saying. And so now it tells us what happened. This is, this is how it actually played out in verse 36. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. So before they ever even laid siege, no arrow went over. The angel of the Lord went out amidst the camp while they were sleeping and destroyed, what does it say, 185,000 people in their sleep. They woke up and there's just dead bodies among the mightiest of armies in the world. And they said, uh-oh, uh-oh. People of Jerusalem didn't even have to do a thing. God did it. God did it. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he continues on in verse 37 concerning Sennacherib, the king. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with a sword. And after they escaped into the land of Erat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So God led Sennacherib back to his land the same way that he had came and his own sons in his God's temple came and struck down Sennacherib. He's in the place where he trusted. He's in uh, his God's temple and his God could not help him. His own sons came and defeated Sennacherib. So what about, I love about this is while it's, it's hard sometimes to grapple with the things that the Lord says out of the prophets, what we have to understand is this, that when, the, when God speaks, we have got to listen. Here's a word that he comes and he's, he's reassuring Hezekiah, I'm going to do this. But to believe that, really? The greatest army in all the world is around our city. Really, Lord, are you going to somehow make it so that they don't cast one arrow over our walls? Hezekiah was to listen. The people were to listen and that God would take care of it. And he absolutely did. Not one arrow went over those walls. And God went out and destroyed their army and sent them packing. Sent Sennacherib back like a ring in his nose. Led him back to 
respect that Nineveh and then in his own God's temple had him struck down. God did exactly what he said over and over and over. When God proves to you that he's going to do what he says, it should call you as the remnant of God to continue to listen more closely. This, I think, should be the heart of prayer part two. Last week we talked about in prayer, we come and we place our requests before the Lord. And oftentimes when we think about prayer, what we think of is that we come to the Lord and we talk to him. But the reality is in prayer, not only is the opportunity for us to communicate to God, but I would I would wager to bet that the greatest opportunity in prayer is not for us to speak towards him, but for him to speak towards us. Prayer is a two way conversation piece. And the heart of the people of God aren't just to pray and to speak towards him, but in prayer to listen from him what he is saying. We should be desperate for what he wants to say to us. Our hearts need to be still and quiet and say, Lord, please speak to me. Show me what you're doing. Tell me where to go, what to see, what to do, how to do this, what to buy, how to speak. Lord, I'm listening. You know, Paul says this. He says, pray continually. Pray without ceasing. How are you supposed to do that? Now, I I know a lot of you like to talk all the time. Okay, some of you need surgery to keep you from talking all the time. Amen, Betty Jean. All right. We, we love to talk. We need to love to listen. And it says, pray continually. How are we, how are we supposed to talk all the time? We're not. We're to be listening all the time. And at moments we cry out and we plead to the Lord with, with requests. We offer him thanks. But a large part of prayer in this continual prayer all the time is to all the time be listening. Lord, what do you want in this situation? Where do I go? What do I do? One of the questions I get asked most often as a pastor is, how how do you listen to the Lord? How do you hear his voice? I don't think there's a magical formula to that other than just do it and practice and learn. Just the same way that the Roberts are learning the voice of little Mia Grace, right? When she was first born, they didn't know her voice. But they're training. And they're training. And one day when Mia Grace is in the mall saying, Mom, Dad, I'm lost. They'll be able to pick her voice up over all the other commotion because they're training to hear her voice. We, too, need to train to hear the Lord's voice. And when the Lord says, don't do this or do this, go there, read this, see this, don't see this. We're learning to listen in these things. The Lord will lead you in the most amazing ways. And when after he does and you see, man, what he said is true, it's like, I can trust him more. We're that remnant that should be trusting him more and more and more as we listen more and more and more. There are things constantly when the Lord says, um, listen on these things. And there's several times in my life when the Lord's had me listen on on different things. And and um, there's one, you know, there's there's times when you listen to the Lord and after you've done it, you realize, you know, if I hadn't listened to him, I'd be dead. I remember this one time, I'm not a car guy, I'm not like the Woods Brothers, you know, but I got this, I got this funny idea in my mind one time that I was going to get a car and, and put a new engine in it. And so my dad had helped me roll that thing into our garage and we put a hookup on a beam, um, like my uncle told me, and we, we cranked that uh, old engine out. And um, then we, we got the new engine on and we were, we were putting that sucker down in there. And... Um, as we're putting it in, it got caught on something, and, and I'd been down under that car several times, um, fiddling with stuff. And, and while we're in the midst of this, 
Um, you know, it wasn't at that moment like I was all out listening to the Lord, but something told me it, it was stuck and I was going to go in. And something, you know, the Lord said, do not go under that car. Do not put yourself under that car like you had. And so I didn't. I just kind of reached under with my arm and was helping with as my dad was working on the crank. And suddenly that engine had busted that hook on the top and just crashed hundreds of pounds just right onto the concrete. Had I not listened to the Lord, that literally would have would have crushed my chest. It would have kept me from breathing anymore in this life. I would have been dead. Listening to the Lord can literally save your life in accidents. Keeping you from sin. Listening to the Lord is vital to help you lead a healthy and actually living life a lot of times. Uh, there's other times when it's like, I don't, this doesn't seem right. Uh, yesterday, I heard the news that Jer, Jeremy was getting his gallbladder removed. And so I received the news and I'm like, am I supposed to go? And the Lord was just speaking to me, don't go up there. And I was like, why am I not supposed to go up there? Like, why would I not? Why would I not go up there? I'm not supposed to go. And so later on, I get a phone call from Vicky and she's telling me all about it. She says he can't go into surgery because he's got the flu. And I said, well, I was going to come up there. She's like, I'm really glad you didn't. I've been overwhelmed by texts and calls and they've quarantined him and we couldn't get to you. He couldn't get to you. It was best you stay put. You know, sometimes the Lord just tells you you don't understand. And it's like, OK, I'll just stay put and I'll pray right here. I'll text from here. I'll I'll send a message. I'll just do what I'm supposed to do right here. So the Lord will lead you in the in the different ways that you're to go. Sometimes those ways are totally confirmed because somebody else is listening also. I remember the conversation one time I was sitting with a friend um, at a coffee shop in Seattle and uh, we're just kind of examining my life and putting before the Lord. And there was a certain part of our life that I would not listen to. And that was that I determined that we would not leave Seattle and I would not give up the church we were at. And we would not leave the house we were in. Certainly the Lord had put us in that place. We would never be asked to go. And yet right there in that coffee shop that day, the Lord made it ever clear and caused me, forced me to listen to say, it is time to sell your house and leave Seattle. Now, I didn't understand what that was all about. And I didn't understand where it would take me. He had no idea it would lead me to Four Oaks, North Carolina. But it's interesting because I got up from that place going home thinking, how in the world am I going to tell Katie? And as Katie and I talked, we realized that God was telling her the same thing. But we were too scared to almost tell each other that that's what he had been saying. So listen to the Lord. You know, I, I think about what would have happened had I not listened to him and gone under that engine. I think about what would have happened had I gone up to Raleigh yesterday and maybe gotten in the way rather than just praying where I was. I think about what would have happened if I was so stubborn to say I am not selling my house I'm not giving up this church and I'm not leaving Seattle. The Lord made it clear it might cost us. Salvation for a child. The Lord made it clear that if that had not had happened, we would not be in Four Oaks, North Carolina, where we feel we're supposed to be right now. When we listen, the Lord guides us to where he wants us to go. And always when we get to the other side, we look back and say he was totally right. And when you've listened, it's so good to say, I'm glad I listened. It's when you get to the other side and you didn't listen and he was still right. You're like, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I listen? A prayerful heart, part B, is a listening heart. 
And a listening heart is, first of all, going to his word and saying, Lord, teach me. I struggle with the prophets or I struggle with the Paul or I struggle with just understanding anything. Just keep going. Keep doing it. Study as the Lord keeps pursuing you. He'll cause you to pursue him and just thirst for his word. But thirst for him, not just with you're with the scripture. When you're walking around all day to say, Lord, open my mind to listen to you in this moment. What are you saying to me here? I had this professor in college. He was talking about this and he said, I had to train my mind that in every situation I'd go into, I'd be listening to the Holy Spirit. And we said, well, how how did you do that? How did you train? He said, I decided to do this. In his mind, he decided that every time he touched a doorknob, he was going to pray, Lord, in this next room or the next space that I'm going into, would you show me by your Holy Spirit? Would you allow me to listen for what you're doing in that room? And so anytime now, he'd train himself. He'd open a room. He'd grab that doorknob. He'd go in. He'd already be praying, Lord, I'm listening for what you want to do in this next space. Lord, I'm listening for what you want to do in this next season. Lord, I'm listening to what you want me to say in this next conversation. Lord, I'm listening for what you want me to teach in this next lecture. Lord, I'm listening for what you want me to buy in this store. Lord, I'm listening for what you do not want me to buy in this store. Um, you see how it goes? There's, there's opportunity in every space, in every moment that you go to, to listen to the Lord. And to listen to him should not be something that we go, oh, man. Do you know, hundreds of years later, when Jesus was going to that cross, when he looked at that ugly, rugged, old cross, he said, I'm going to go die there and I'm going to be nailed there and I'm going to take all the garbage and sin of Jason and all the other people who would call on my name for forgiveness. I'm going to go there and suffer under the shame of the cross. Do you know that the scripture says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him? What was that joy? That joy was you. The joy that Jesus had, even though he was suffering in that moment for your sin, was that when you came to faith and you became a part of that remnant. The joy was that you would be in relationship, you'd be a part of the fellowship. And in that he'd be get to he, he would be able to speak to you and guide you and give you wisdom and whisper in your ear and tell you that he loves you. One of the greatest things that you need to listen about is how the Lord loves you. Do you believe that? He says it. His joy is that you might be so close that he could tell you things that otherwise you wouldn't be able to hear. He wants to get your attention so that you can be fixated on what is good for you because that's what he wants for you. Be careful of the things that are robbing your attention. I know that this thing happens a lot in my life where I'll be maybe working on the computer or something and Katie will come in the room and she'll start talking. And you know what I do? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she says, did you hear anything I said? Uh-huh. What did I say? Uh-huh. You know, I just keep going. Katie's got to be able to, in order for me to listen to her, say, I need your attention. I need your eyes. I need to know that you're listening to me. And the Lord has to do that for us, too. Well, what are you paying attention to? Are you going around so busy in your day you've got to get there so quick or you're so behind or you've got so much going on that you don't have the attention to give God to listen to him? Then maybe what steps do you need to take to be able to give him that attention? You need to take your hands off the keyboard for a while. Do you need to start taking a Sabbath 
in your week. God gave you a Sabbath. One day off a week, he says, he installed that into creation as a gift to you to help you be still of heart and to be able to get your attention. You need to limit how many people you're trying to connect with. You know, one of the hard parts in our society right now is we have so many tools to connect with millions of people when in reality studies have shown we really only have the capacity to really connect with about 150 people. Are you trying to connect so broadly that you're overwhelmed and you can't even listen to the one and connect with the one that you really need to be listening to? So look around your life. What is, what is robbing you of your attention that you should be giving to the Lord? Are, are you unable in the midst of other things to break away from those and to listen to God at any moment? I know that I find it hard in my life to say, I need to stop this. Even if it's a conversation with somebody, say, I just need to pause this because I need to go pray. I need to go listen. I've got all this work I need to do. I've got ministry I've got to do. I've got, I've got kids I've got to raise. There should be no excuse, even ministry or kids that would say, I need to go listen to God. It might be in the midst of ministry that I just need to have that heart. I mean, it might be in the middle of parenting when I need that the most. But in those instances, I have to say, my attention has to be upon the Lord. Do you need a doorknob or something? To start that listening process in every room and in every moment and every day. What might be your trigger? For a lot of us, the only trigger that we have all week is when you come in those doors and you hear Sue playing the prelude music. And you say, well, it's church. I guess I'm here to pray and to listen. What we need to understand is that the prelude music and what happens at church is just the beginning. When we leave this room, in fact, before we leave this room and we say amen and you begin fellowshipping with one another, already start listening to the Lord and say, Lord, in this conversation that I'm having with this brother or sister, what do you want me to hear from what they're saying? And what do you want me to speak back to encourage them towards Christ? You should already be listening. And if he's already engaging you and saying what you're saying right here is actually gossip, stop, then stop. Before we ever leave this room, we're already practicing our attention to the Lord and listening to what he's saying. And I guarantee you, as you listen to the Lord, as hard and as wacky and as crazy as those things might be, when always when you get to the other side and you look back and you say, the Lord was right. The Lord was right. I wish I could have been there with Hezekiah when they watched. The most powerful army on the earth. Now as a fraction, marching away from Jerusalem. Wish I could have been there with him when he watched Sennacherib just walk away with his head down, defeated. Because I know that Hezekiah had poured out his heart. And then he listened to the word of the Lord through Isaiah. And then he saw it come to fulfillment. And you know what I know? Is that Hezekiah in relationship with God was full of joy in that moment. The Lord had been true. This morning, if you've found it a struggle to listen to the Lord, then... I'd invite you to just start listening right now. And, you know, we always open up the altar to come and listen. Um, the Lord doesn't demand a certain place. His demand is a who. It's him. And so if you need to put off other things, maybe something else has been crowding you out. Maybe sin has just gotten a hold of you. You'll never be able to listen to the Lord properly if you've got sin so tangled up in you. And come and confess that sin. Pray to the Lord and have him. There's a part of the, of the Psalms that talks about the Lord digging out your ears. I have a friend who always prays, Lord, dig out my ears. 
Maybe you need to pray that prayer today. Lord, dig out my ears that I might listen to you. Pray to God that you would have a listening heart so you're not wandering around like a blind fool for the rest of your life. Listen to the Lord. Let him determine your life. Let him guide your life. Let him speak into your life. You listen. Father, we thank you for your word. And we openly admit that we have a struggle sometimes, not just understanding it, but taking it to heart and believing it. And we ask that we would truly believe that it was your joy, that you would bring us into fellowship, that you might speak with us with love and with the guidance of a father for every part of our life. And so, Lord, I ask that you would dig out our ears. And I ask that you would help us to rid of sin. That you would cause us even in our bodies to, to quiet down and to put off distraction that we might listen. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people that are of a constant prayer, a constant listening. So, Lord, we would respond in a moment's notice. That our engines would already be ready to go, but listening. So that when you say go, we go. When you say stop, we stop. We pray that it is this remnant that you would hold us fast. You would keep us with a heart of prayer and that we would listen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.